Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show, The Traditionalist. We are recording on Friday, October 1st in the year of 2021. I'm Jack Fowler. I am the director of the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. The namesake of this show is Victor Davis Hanson. He's the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. Now, Victor, I think this show, even though we're recording it on the 1st, is probably up on October 5th. And I'd like to get out front and let our listeners know that on October 6th, you will be appearing on Gutfeld. Now, you're on a lot of uh, shows this week because your new book is out, The Dying Citizen. Actually, it will be out from the time we're talking right now, but it will be out next week. So you're going to be doing a lot of uh, publicity and marketing for it. But I wanted our listeners to uh, make sure they set the dial or whatever, set their timer to catch you on Gutfeld next week. Victor, we've got a lot to talk about today, though. And one of the things that, that's on top of the list is the imprisonment of Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. And we'll get to talking about that and other important issues right after this message. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, 
they've discovered a limited time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show, the traditionalist. Victor, what are your thoughts about what has been done to Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller? I think he is yet to be charged with any particular crimes. And as many folks have said, he is, of, of all the debacle that's gone on in the last month, he is the one man that's paid any price for it. Yeah, I think that the issue that people are struck by is not that he did or did not break the chain of command. He did. And obviously you can't have an army where every single officer in the chain of command, captain, majors, lieutenant colonels, then question their superiors publicly. So he admitted that. But what usually happens, Jack, when that occurs is that they bring the officer in, they try to suggest that what he's doing or what he has done is unwise. And then they usually, if the officer persists, and they either offer him a, a different command or they suggest that he retire with his retirement and full pay, et cetera. What's unusual about this is two things. One, he's in the brig as we speak in jail. And number two, what he did is a misdemeanor compared with the felonious behavior of his highest superiors. Because what we're talking about is a complete destruction of a 20-year project in Afghanistan, multi-billion dollars of equipment left for the Taliban, Americans still there, stranded, the most humiliating defeat in 50 years, and the loss of deterrence, betrayal of our... And somebody did that. Somebody did that. Was it the CENTCOM commander? Was it the Afghan theater commander? Was it the Secretary of Defense? Was it Joe Biden? But somebody has not taken responsibility. So when they start, when you listen to them before Congress under oath, them being Austin and Milley and McKenzie, the State Department did it. No, uh, I told the president. So nobody's coming up and saying, I made a recommendation that was wrong and people died from it and I'm sorry and I'm going to resign. But this officer did. He said, I cannot stop from telling you that these people are responsible and they will not resign and they will not take blame. And I'm not going to be quiet until they do. And so morally, ethically, he has the high ground. And then customarily and legally, he should be punished, but not to the degree they're punishing him, A, and B, especially not to the degree that they're completely immune from their own culpability. And, we, and we'll get in later, but we're not even talking about the violation of Article 88 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice that says you cannot disparage the commander-in-chief when 
the Joint Chiefs, Milley, was calling at least three authors and telling them on the record that the president was a Mein Kampf-like figure, a Nazi, and that is a violation. He, he suffered no consequences for it. Or he was violating the chain of command in a much more egregious fashion by interrupting the normal chain of command involving nuclear matters or calling up his Chinese counterpart. So it's that asymmetric, asymmetrical hypocrisy that makes us so angry and sympathetic to him. And, and he was honest about saying that he violated the chain of command. He was willing to take the punishment. But to put somebody in jail for that is way out of proportion to the crime. We mentioned, and this is one of the other topics we're going to discuss today, the appearance this past Tuesday, September 28th, General Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Kenneth McKenzie, who is the U.S. Central Commander, and then the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin all spoke to Congress, a big expected, anticipated event where he, at least Milley, would be called out on some of these matters. You know, three or four weeks ago, Victor, as you recall, when the book Peril came out, folks were saying, no way he's going to survive this. He's got to resign. He'll be thrown out, et cetera, et cetera. I assume you watched the testimonies. What are your thoughts about it? What are your thoughts about how Republicans handled the matter that day and any other thoughts about consequences, if any, are going to happen? They were very good. Uh, I was surprised, especially the Senate. I mean, Marsha Blackburn just asked him, were you the source? And she just rattled off books of muckraking liberal journalists. And then why are you doing this? That was asked by a House member. And he had the most preposterous, incoherent response possible. He said, part of my duty is to be a public relation and a transparent conduit. And I'm thinking, and they pointed out, wait a minute, being an off record insidious, anonymous source to damage the prior administration and give your version and leak and disparage people. That's part of your job is to talk to uh, investigative journalists who have an agenda and as a bipartisan advisor to the president. That's your job. And, you know, he acted like as if he had perfect memory. Do you really believe when he says then if he has perfect memory when he's asked you said to one journalist that you wrote in your journal era groups that were terrorist organizers, and among them were news organizations. I mean, this is a civil libertarian milli, Epic Times and Newsmax, and he called them terrorists. Can you imagine that the iconic chief of the U.S. military calling a news organization a terrorist organization? And what did he say? He was asked, did you say that? And if so, do you have it? Did you record it in a journal? And so it can, can you produce it? Oh, I can't recall the James Comey 245 times under, you know, oath defense. So that was a dismal performance. Everything he said was contradictory. No, no, I'm an advisor only. I, I'm not responsible for what happened in Afghanistan. I gave the president advice, and it's not what he – basically, he, if you want to cut to the quick, he said Joe Biden was a liar. He said the State Department were liars. He said the journalists, some of them, were liars. Everybody was a liar but Mark Milley. And we have a transcript that was leaked to Bob Woodward from his phone call from Nancy Pelosi, in which they made fun of people's weight. Uh, they talked about Trump being crazy. 
And then he wanted us to believe the following, Jack. He wanted us to believe that after he was so concerned about, quote unquote, messy democracy and Donald Trump, that he called his Chinese counterpart. But then when questions under oath, so you believe that the time he was crazy, or have you said that? No, I didn't think he was going to do that. I didn't think he was going to start a war. Well, then why the hell did you call him? And so he, he made a, just like he did with the white rage, you know, when he got confused and said he was recommending Professor Kendi's work as he does Mao and, and Mark's adversarial text, but he meant it in the sense of Mr. Milley, General Milley, these are on your recommended list as something you endorse. So you don't endorse marks, everybody read. I think he's way over his head. And then when he leaks to the media that he's a Princeton graduate or he's a bibliophile or he's an intellectual, he's, I don't know, he's trying to act as if he's some kind of warrior intellectual and it's not working. Very much not so, very much. Victor, I'd like to remind our, our listeners at victorhanson.com, the blade of Perseus, they can find links to everything you write and your various appearances and podcasts. But if folks would like to read a lot of what you write, much of which is exclusive to victorhanson.com, they need to subscribe. And it's very affordable and extremely worthwhile because there is a mother load of, of writing. You are a writing machine. So I want to encourage folks to visit there. Victor, let's move on to our next subject. I'm looking right now at a few headlines. Joe Biden has just gone up to Capitol Hill to, um, I guess, see if he can twist arms. He didn't have his nap today. His numbers are continuing to fall, although the real clear politics average is 45 favorable, 49 unfavorable. Again, I'm looking at real clear politics right now, some of the headlines. The danger of electing Biden has been laid bare. Another story I'm looking at, a U.S. News published, I think, today. What happened to Honest Joe? President Joe Biden's promises are turning into lies. Uh, last night, in real time, Thursday uh, the 30th, he was at the, uh, the annual uh, House Re Republican versus Democrat baseball game. I guess trying, again, uh, wrangle votes up for this monstrous legislation that seems to be going nowhere. So, Victor, your thoughts about two things. One, Joe is flummoxing in decline. Anything you would like to talk about and analyze the president at this point in time? And then in particular, the hubris of this positioning the $3.5 trillion package as something that will cost nothing, which is really an indication of their assessment of the citizens that they are stupid and gullible. Maybe a number are. Anyway, Victor, what are your thoughts on those things? Well, I think the people who are not impressed with Joe Biden thought that we're coming to a critical turning point because just in the last seven days, think of what he said. He's doubled down and said, no, my generals didn't give me advice about the dangers of my withdrawal, even though his own secretary of defense is at odds with him, as so is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And then he said that we've got to have justice for trillion. I mean, trillionaires have to pay. There's, I know that Jeff Bezos is pretty wealthy, and so is Elon Musk. I think they're around 150 to 180, depending on the stock market, billion, but they're one-fifth of the trillion there. We've never had one trillionaire in existence. And so that's why he does not give impromptu talks on any 
at any occasion, his handlers do not want. And he's quite right to say, they told me to say this, and I'm not allowed to do that. Because as I said earlier, he's like Admiral Jellico. He can lose a war in one day. As Churchill said of the first sea lord in the in uh, World War One, and then he went on for his third uh, trifecta, after you know saying that there are trillionaires, he said that that his own border patrol was whipping people, whipping people at the border. And you look at those very carefully, and you talk to the photographer, and it's clear that, and we talked about this on an earlier podcast that these long reins are no way used to whip people. Remember, he's never retracted any of this. He's never retracted any of it. And so when he continues to lie, we're getting to the point where he cannot say anything that's not untrue. So you think, well, Jen Psaki, what do you think about that? And she doesn't think anything about it. And the media doesn't think anything. And now their attitude, Jack, is metamorphosized into something like, well, he's 78 years old and a president's a hard job. And that's the subtext, and he doesn't know where he is. What are you going to do about it? So what? What are you going to do about it? 25th Amendment, try it. Impeachment, try it. So we don't really care anymore whether he lies or he can't. doesn't know where he is. Just the way it is, and just you know, sit down and take it. That's where we are as far as Joe Biden. And uh, as far as the $3.5 trillion, or is it 5.5 or 6 Notice a couple of things about the whole packaging of this. We're in debt for $30 trillion, aggregate national debt. We ran pre-COVID a half a billion, and then during COVID, $1 trillion, $1.5. I think we got up finally to $2.5 trillion. And so now in we're going to go one and a half, and we're going to add three and a half over an extended period of time minimally. And no one is talking about how do you pay it back? They're just saying it doesn't cost anything. And our former colleague, Rich Lowry, had a good article at National Review when he said, and we've said it, and I said the other day on Martha McCallum a little earlier, that if you and I go buy a car and we pay cash, that doesn't mean it didn't cost anything. That meant that it was an investment of maybe, I don't know, 3,000 hours of labor, or you didn't fix a roof. Or your wife's angry at you because you, you know, didn't send one of your children to violin camp. But it's fungible. And so it's not free. And then notice how they only talk about the money. It's 3.5 and 1.5 and compromise. And that's a defeat or that's a win. But they never talk about what's in the bill. And what's in the bill is hardly anything about infrastructure. That was earlier. It's all about expanding all of these nanny state entitlements and bias training and immigration subsidies and da, 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 da. So the subtext of the whole thing is we're going to raise taxes on the upper middle class. And believe me, Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos will not be paying more taxes. They'll find a way to get out of it. But we're going to raise it on the upper middle class and take that money away because they did something wrong in acquiring that much. And we're going to give it to the lower class who must have been doing something right not to have earned it. And so it's pure socialism. And it's it's just like the Soviet Union in its penultimate days where when you looked at those beefy guys at the parade dais when you know they, they paraded the missiles on May Day and Brezhnev and Kosygin and all those guys, Gosh, they didn't believe in that. 
they were all going to their dhakas and, and homes up on the, the Black Sea or Sevastopol or wherever they went. And th- these guys don't believe this. I mean, Joe Biden is right now under some scrutiny for not paying 500,000 of taxes. Didn't he pay his fair share? He didn't. And these were payroll taxes on money he earned in addition to his generous pensions and salary and speaking. And then in addition to that, I mean, we, Hunter's back in the news with his art grift. And he says in the emails, if you remember correctly, that the Mr. 10%, the big guy was getting money and he was getting money from everything from his cell phone to repairs on his mansion. Did he ever report that income? So I just don't think that this thing is, it's Orwellian that we're supposed to feel so good that Joe Manchin, good old Joe from West Virginia, stopped it at 1.5 trillion after a trillion of infrastructure. So we got two and a half trillion dollars. Where are we going to get it? We're going to go say to Mr. X, who's making 350,000 when, you know, scrambling around with two 7-Elevens that he's got his grandmother and one, you know, in his attic and he's paying for his kid's tuition. He's helping out a cousin and he's out there for 19 hours a day. We're going to say to him, well, you're just an insect. You're a parasite. See that guy over there who's in his apartment and not working? He's the victim, not you. And so we're going to take from you and give to him. And, and then we ask ourselves, finally, Jack, where's the paradigm that this works so well? We have a higher tax rate, an, an operative tax rate, than most Scandinavian countries now, mm-hmm. except for the value-added tax, the sales tax, which a lot of them don't pay. So my point is, is it Colombia? Is it Cuba? Is it Venezuela? Is it Russia? Where is it that socialism is this beacon of prosperity? It doesn't exist. And then we finally end up with this existential question that you and I wrestled with. And that is, is it all because of incompetence or is it angry nihilism or is it destroying the system to rebuild it in socialist protocols? I don't know anymore. Well, Victor, I'm going to spring something on you. There's a poll um, out today about conservatives, Republicans wanting to secede. Blue states, red states just created a new nation. I mean, I can see people answering that in a poll. I don't think majority of Republicans or conservatives would actually want to do that. But I think that bespeaks something, probably bespeaks something about that's a, a theme in, in The Dying Citizen. But I'd like to talk to about, you about that in a minute. But first, back to what we were just talking about, where's the money going to come from, right? Known $400,000 a year, you weren't going to be taxed. Now, here's an article... This has to do with Maria Bartiromo, who's got the Fox business show, and she had Senator Steve Daines from Montana on, and they're talking about Joe Biden's demand for banks to begin reporting financial transactions above $600 to the federal government. And and it says here he wants to report all transactions, flow in and flow out from our bank accounts because he thinks he's going to catch tax cheats. He thinks about projection in life. <laughs> He's well, it's called catch the, tax sheets. <laughs> you got to remember, it's called the Hunter Biden law. Right. From someone withdrawing $600 from their bank account. So, you know, that that is kind of on a financial par, I think, with what red Chinese do with women's menstrual cycle. I mean, just uh, how, how intimate knowledge does Joe Biden and others want of the lives of Americans? As it was a very Soviet kind of aspect there. Anyway, Victor, do you have any thoughts about Biden wanting to know, know your every doing in your financial life? 
Well, I think it's revealing because I, they talk about new monetary theory that you can just borrow money and borrow money and borrow money or the more clever among them say, you know, there's all this hidden productivity with zooming and digitalization and artificial intelligence. So the old classical paradigms of revenues, balancing expenditures no longer matter. But this is more revealing because it suggests that they know that they got to get money somewhere. It's sort of like job of the HUD is the government. And it's usually obese and it's, it's eating all the time revenues and somebody's shoveling food into its mouth and they look around and that pile of food is shrinking and they're looking around to take from, and nobody has any. And so they're talking about the payroll tax. They're talking about the estate tax. They're talking about the capital gains tax. They're talking about income taxes. They're talking about corporate taxes. And that's still not enough. And now they're thinking, well, it's not just the taxes. We've got to go make sure that people don't cheat. And we're going to go after these people. And I'm, I'm for all paying a person's taxes. I get very angry when I leave this house and I go somewhere and I buy a car or an appliance and I pay almost 10 or over 10% sales tax. And I just go around the corner and there's somebody, you know, hawking everything from lawnmowers to baseball bats to clothes out on the side of the road with no sales tax. So I'm not, I'm all for uh, compliance, but this is a revelation that this job of the HUD is hungry and they don't know where the food's going to come from. So they're going to scrounge and look for it. It's almost an insane tick that they have that We've got to look for problems that don't exist. Then when we find them, we've got to hire all these people out of these ideological universities and we've got to train them. We're not very far from everybody wearing little scarves and chanting like that. We did salt in the Obama administration for a while, you know, songs about praising the great leader. This is really Orwellian what they're doing. And I'm trying to answer in conjunction with your other suggestion about a de facto civil strife. But boy, let me tell let me let me tell you about that. And here's this poll by the University of Virginia Center for Politics. It says three things. 52% of Trump voters want red states to secede. 41% of Biden voters want blue states to split off. Then it says over 40% of voters in both parties favor abolishing the checks and balances built into federal government and giving the president greater control. And the last polling item is over 75% of voters on both sides agree that strong supporters of the opposite party present a, quote, clear and present danger, end quote, to American life. You know, Victor, this e pluribus unum has uh, quite frayed and untangling. And I think this is part of a broader, maybe a cruder way of of saying a theme of your book, The Dying Citizen. But do you have any uh, immediate thoughts on this thing that I've just sprung on you? Well, what's dangerous about it is that geography, Geography is a force multiplier of civil strife. We saw that in the Civil War where those guys were there and these guys were here, and they were definite geographical and regional entities, one on one side, one on the other, the Mason-Dixon line. So when the South went Republican and much of the old Republican areas like you know New York and used to have a Republican mayor of California went blue, then it was all mixed up. And so you didn't have a force multiplier that would accentuate political differences. And we kind of, you know, with national TV and everything, we we had technology that sort of downplayed accents and 
We had easy travel, so everybody went around. But now the technology is working in the opposite effect. It's accentuating the social media, Twitter, the differences, and people are self-selecting under our federal system. And we have, you know, I think it's 10 to 15 million people have left California the last 35 years, and they have not gone to blue states. They may be blue in mind, but they go to low-tax states like Nevada, Arizona, or no-tax states, or Idaho, or Wyoming, or Florida. Now a big, a big draw seems to be Tennessee. And so what's happening is that there is a now a red state recombined uh, geographical area, and it's basically two areas. It's everything west of the East Coast and everything east of the West Coast with a couple of exceptions, and that is that little band maybe from Dallas to Austin Metropolitan District and maybe uh, around the Great Lakes where Cleveland or Detroit or Chicago are. And they're about equal population, but now we're having a definite geographical area that's conservative. And a lot of these political questions that we're having hinge on that because the Electoral College hinges on that. The idea you're going to bring in two extra state hinges on that. And it's kind of scary because, I mean, they all have McDonald's, they have Starbucks, they have the same cars. I used to think when I was in high school, and I was told that, we wouldn't have regional accents anymore because of television and people moving around. I think we're going to have more regional accents because I think people are re-tribalizing and re-cocooning and they just don't want to put up with it. I don't know how, and the sad thing about it, you've got the Roman Revolution when Caesar crossed the Rubicon all the way to the second phase that ended at Actium or the American Civil War. These differences are more accentuated and they're more fierce than us versus foreign powers because there's this element of betrayal or familiarity that are force multipliers as well. So and what would you do in your family? I mean, you, you, some, you got a, a Bernie Sanders supporter and a Donald Trump supporter and then... I don't know, you take AR-15s and you go to war. It's, it's not going to happen, thank God. But somebody's got to say, you know what, let's just cool it. And the war is really being waged by these institutions. It's not the people. I mean, I don't see people necessarily on the left that, that I know that want to you know, go to war. It's usually Hollywood that lectures people. It's LeBron James and the professional athletes that lecture people. It's the CEOs of Disney and Delta and American and Coke that lecture people. It's the people at Goldman Sachs and Wall Street that lecture people. It's Mark Zuckerberg and the Google crowd and Lisa Jobs and the Apple crowd that lecture people. It's George Soros that lectures people in the foundations. But it's it's mostly left-wing, wealthy, privileged people who are driving this strife. Yeah, Victor, it seems that this is virtue signaling at its core, and, and uh, it's one of the paths is to, to say I'm virtuous is to say explicitly, well, you are not virtuous, and I mean you pointing a finger at somebody. Yeah, I mean, it's I can be more virtuous by ferreting out somebody who's not virtuous. And I can do it anonymously. I, I've noticed this happens, that every once in a while, I get attacked very vehemently by somebody on the internet. And I, I'll kind of kid around. 
and I'll put it on angry reader and reply because they, they leave their information. Apparently it's become kind of a, they want to be so identified, but every once in a while I've had somebody who attacked me and I wrote back and said, you know, you got something wrong, but who cares? And then the person wrote back angrier. And then I wrote back, not as angry and then less angry. And then me even less. And after a while, I didn't really care. And he didn't really care. And there's a way to resolve all this stuff. But when you get quick bites and virtue signaling and I'm on Twitter and look how many people follow me and this is trending and I'm a hero to my tribe, it gets really out of hand because you never see the person face to face. It's one thing to call somebody a racist, da, 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 da. But when I go to the supermarket, nobody, I think of all the times I've been anywhere that anybody's recognized I, I do something on these podcasts or Fox or something. I've had one situation where the person got in my face. But I've had 10 times that a month of people who, who do it anonymously. It's cowardly. And that, that's encouraged by the social media, that strife, that yeah. constantly churning the pot and, and trying to provoke people. Well, Victor, let's end briefly. I'll tell you a quick story about people who have been provoked. And it's not too far from me. The story's gotten some national attention. Fox and National Review has a piece on it today. But it's in Guilford, Connecticut. And to fight back, you need a leader. And this one community, which like a, a lot of states that were locked down, public forums were also shut down and means of finding out what was happening within a city, within a community, were kind of deep sixed. And that's on top of, you know, these lockdowns are on top of not an elimination, but ending up people getting local newspapers, et cetera, it's a news vacuum. So these things uh, operate very well in news vacuums, but in Guilford, some parents found out what was going on in the school system, the imposition of critical race theory. And they found that that many of the Republicans who were on the, the board of education in that town were rubber stamping this, not only rubber stamping it, but there's a lot of what's going around with, with the CRT in the schools. It's say, we're not teaching that. No, we're not teaching, but it goes by another name again. Like, you think we're stupid by the, the, the Democrats think people are stupid. 300, 3.5 trillion doesn't cost anything. No, we're not teaching that stuff to your children when kids come home with the evidence of it. Anyway, long, long and too long a story now, short group of Republicans, conservatives joined forces. They had a primary. They removed the existing Republicans handily, handily. And if, now, of course, everything comes to November election, but people are fighting back, at least in some uh, places. I think the one place they can find to fight back is on the political scene. So a lot of local elections coming up uh, this year may hold some promise. So uh, any thoughts on how folks are reacting? Victor, any signs of goodness you have? And that's how we'll uh, cap the show today. Well, I think everybody understands there's a pushback. You even see it with people like Bill Maher. And you see it with certain athletes and you see what you're talking about and people going to boardrooms. I mean, they're, they're usually demonized or disparaged, but they're not out argued. Nobody says, well, here's why I want to explain what Mr. Kennedy really meant when he said you could be a racist to attack racism. They know that if you were to accept that doctrine, you would be in the former Yugoslavia. And every Serb would say to, you know, every Bosnian or every Kosovar that this is why I'm killing you because I have a right to kill you for what you did in 1200. 
or 1420 or something. So it doesn't work and it won't work. So you just attack the person personally, but the pushback is coming and it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be dramatic. I think a lot of people express their anger at the woke phenomenon a lot of ways. A lot of people will just, as they did in 2016, they'll smile and they'll say, I'm, I'm very happy. And they will go in and vote uh, against the Democrats. And I think you will see a tsunami comparable to the 2010, or the 1994 that almost wrecked the Clinton and Obama presidencies and would have wrecked them if they had better leadership and somebody other than Paul Ryan in that one case. And then there's going to be people who just say, I'm not going to send my kid anymore to Stanford or Harvard or Yale. I, I'm sorry. I don't believe that that Brent cattle brand is worth it anymore. Or they'll say, I don't watch the Emmys or the Tonys, or the Oscars, or I don't want to watch LeBron hector me anymore. I'm just turning off the NBA. And that's, that's starting to happen. Or I'm just not going to go down to downtown Chicago. I'm not going to do it. There's no reason Chicago won't become Detroit. Nobody goes, you know, travels to go to the million dollar mile in Detroit, even though it's, it's getting a little better. So I think a lot of people are dropping out and they're going to places that are rural, small town, red states. They do not want to go to New York. They do not want to go to San Francisco. They do not. I'm not saying that, you know, real estate hasn't, you know, collapsed there. It has not. That it has collapsed. It has not. But I just think that subtly people make their unhappiness known by what they do. And some will do it by voting. Some will do it by speaking out. And the most common question that I get, Jack, in emails or when somebody comes up and talks to you that you don't know is, what are we going to do? How do we stop this? What should I do? And that's a good question because it depends on your relative station in life. If you're a a lecture part-time at a community college, you're not going to be as vociferous as somebody like myself who's got de facto tenure. But I say de facto because there is no such thing as tenure anymore because they go after tenure professors. But I wrote a kind of an article that I thought was correct. It may not be called not too long ago, peak wokeism, that we were approaching the period where we did with Me Too. Do you remember Me Too, Jack? It just suddenly, it started out with a premise that, a good one, that Harvey... Uh, Weinstein was an ogre who had been protected by a cabal of like-minded people who wanted stuff from him, and he used them and manipulated them. And then he, when he was taken down, it opened the floodgates, and then everybody had a story of some sexual harassment. And then we went into the Brett Kavanaugh period, and then it was back to 30 years, and then it was a word, or then, and we took out a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, we took out Garrison Keeler and Matt Lauer and all these people, some of them more deserving than others, Kevin Spacey and all this. And then suddenly people said, wow, Joe Biden digitally, yeah, Joe. digitally right. assaulted Tara right. Ray, Reed. Right. And you can't you can't do this because we did it to Al Franken and we lost a senator. Right. And, you know, he just touched a couple of breasts. That's what they said later. And do we really want to do this to Joe Biden? And remember Kamala Harris, when she was running against him, I believe Tara Reid. So at that point, that was a turning point. We just said, this thing is it's like the French Revolution. The guillotine's got to be turned on the guillotiners. And I think we're now getting to the point where they're starting to make it difficult. Like a guy like Chuck Schumer is going to have to run against a nutty AOC, maybe, or people are starting to see another thing that's going to destroy the woke movement is 
what is Patrice Quellars doing with her fourth house? What's Kendi doing with his 20,000 an hour Zoom charge? What is the Obamas doing from their $25 million mansion? Come on, what what are all these people? Ta-Nehisi Coates went from a fiery activist on the barricades decrying capitalism to what? Adopting comic books to black themes for movies so he continued to be a multimillionaire. So this woke movement was a careerist, top-down phenomenon, and people are cashing in and they're getting cynical, and I think it's going to end. It did a lot of damage. I don't think it would have ever started without the COVID lockdown and the panic about the SARS virus and the election year and the hatred of Trump and all of that, and George Floyd. Without that, we wouldn't have been here. But nevertheless, as we said last time, those were the fuses that let these long, long laid IEDs off. Right. Well, Victor, this is about all the time we have, except for a couple of notes. First review I've seen of The Dying Citizen has, uh, has been published in the New Criterion. And if folks go to the New Criterion website, they'll find the link. It's by Wilfred McClay, who is now a professor at Hillsdale and a great historian himself. And it's a glowing review. We won't give it away here, but check it out. I did want to correct something. The most recent, well, I gave before they are real clear politics average, but a new poll out today about Biden. Rasmussen reports 42 positive 56% disapproval of Joe Biden. People who listen to this podcast, the classicists, the traditionalists, the culturalists, which is done with a great Sammy Wink. Uh, many folks leave reviews on uh, iTunes. If you leave a number review, please give Victor five stars. We greatly appreciate it. N- many people write actual reviews. And here's one, Victor, you should, you should know that you help people get through their chores every day. And this is by C. O'Toole Rubio, my multitasking pleasure. I admire and respect VDH. His brilliant perspective opens our minds without condescending attitude. His wealth of knowledge with common sense and relating to us common folk is the perfect balance. I enjoy listening to him while preparing dinner and other household chores. He doesn't get worked up screaming his opinions. Just the current climate of our country raises my blood pressure. Thank you for sharing your insightful information. We thank CEO Tool Rubio and, and others who leave such. We do read them. Uh, VictorHanson.com is where you can find links to everything Victor has written and a lot of original content. Please subscribe. There's a link for The Dying Citizen, which is out this week. It's a terrific book. If you haven't gotten it yet, do get it, or you may be able now to get it directly at your local bookstore. For me, I'm Jack Fowler, the Director of Center for Civil Society. So please check out centerforcivilsociety.com or my uh, subscribe to my little weekly email newsletter, Civil Thoughts. You'll find that at civilthoughts.com. Uh, we'll be back again with a, another episode of The Traditionalist next week. Uh, Victor, thanks very much. And we thank all uh, who listen and uh, wish you well. And Victor, I hope you have a great week as this book launches. And you'll be on, I think folks will be seeing you in a lot of places in the, in the next coming days. So good if luck I can, with all that. If I can get to Fresno, from Fresno <laughs> to New York well, in a covered wagon, I'll come. But I'm going into the belly of your beast in New York for a week. 
And well, maybe, uh, maybe I'll see you there. Yeah, and I'm glad that readers consider me more Adavan than Adderall. Put it that way. <laughs> and that's Thanks, what everybody. Like. Thank you. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.